Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Logan. I am the lead pastor here at Lower Manhattan Community Church. Uh, I want to welcome you to a special service today. Um, yesterday marked the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and today we are changing the way we do our service to um, allow us to remember well um, what happened 20 years ago and also to reflect on who God is in the midst of moments like this. So I'm glad that you are here. If this is your first time, we would love to meet you. We'd love to get to know you. Um, there's a QR code around the room. If you would scan that, it'll take you to our website, allow you to enter in your Connect card, Connect information, and we'll follow up with you. I do want to highlight two um, upcoming events because we are much more than just gathering in a beautiful venue like this, listening to beautiful music. Uh, we are a community and we want to grow in friendship and relationship and we want you to be a part of that. And so next Sunday, immediately after service, we have a newcomer's brunch. Uh, my wife and I have the privilege of hosting that on our roof if it's a beautiful day like this. And so if you would like to be a part of that, it's going to be immediately following the service. You can email Marcy at LowerManhattanChurch.com to RSVP so that we can have the right amount of food and drink and have a good time together. If you need babysitting, um, we will provide that as well. And so we'd love for you to join us next Sunday. And then the next day after that, Monday, September 20th, is our next rooftop worship night. And so we will, yes, everyone loves rooftop worship. Um, we will go up on the roof of this building and we will face downtown and we will sing to God over our city. Uh, it's a beautiful night. We'll sing together and then we will eat and enjoy each other's company for a very long time. So hope that you join us for that on Monday the 20th. All right, so today, the way that we are approaching this remembrance service is we're going to hear a testimony from a member of our community who was in one of the towers that morning. And by God's grace, his life was spared that day. And I want to take a moment to say why we as a church are doing this remembrance. Why remember in that? Because remembering tragic events is something that we don't want to do. This idea of reliving trauma is something that we want to avoid. And I want you to hear that God is not interested in you merely reliving trauma. But there is something that can happen when we remember these events. And as I looked at the scriptures, there is this challenge of God to remember, remember, remember. And I see three reasons that God invites us to do that. The first is that even though we don't know why God doesn't stop tragedy, God is never stopped by tragedy. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, the scripture says that what the enemy means for evil, God works for good. And when we reflect throughout our lives, we can see that even in the painful moments and the tragedies and the difficulties, when we reflect upon the story of God, we see a God that, though he doesn't stop the tragedies the way we want, is still with us in the middle of it and can make something out of it that you and I can never make ourselves. It's a mystery. I'll never fully grasp it. I won't have all the answers for it, but I can trust God is good even in the midst of it. And so we can remember he's never stopped by tragedy. The second is that God shares in our sorrow. There is a divine sorrow of God when he sees his children go through pain. Uh, the way a parent feels a deep compassion for their children when they go through pain, our God does the same. 
And there is power in grief. There's power in a God who grieves with us to meet us in the middle of that. His tears shed with ours in order to revive us in the middle of tragedy. And so we remember that there is a divine sorrow that we share in. And as we grieve with God, we discover a power that we could never have otherwise. And the last reason, and I think it's something that is not just important about the past, but is important for our future and our present moment, is to remember that there is a steady hope for us in unsteady times. And we are in unsteady times. Whenever we were singing together just then, and Alf had us sing again, there's a song that I've been listening to this week called We Sing as One. And I thought about how unique it is to be in a room like this of people from all over the world, people with different backgrounds, ethnicities, some wearing masks, some not. And that not being a divisive issue, but us being able to unite in the midst of it. That's only because of a hope that we all can share in Jesus Christ. Because it transcends the moment. It transcends the various arguments. It transcends the various disagreements. And so in that I see that there is one hope in unsteady times. And that's the hope in Jesus. And so I want to read from you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 58, and then I'm going to invite Paul to share with you um, what God has put on his heart today. This is speaking to the power of our faith being meaningful no matter whatever moment that you're in. Scriptures say, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will finally come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you please welcome Paul Little? Good morning, LMCC, uh, and good morning to those of you who are listening online. My name is Paul Little. I have been attending LMCC for about six years with Kim, the love of my life, and it is truly an honor and a blessing to be alive and to be here with you today to share this testimony. What I wanted to do first to give you a little bit about me is share this photograph that was taken in 1969 in Kingston, Jamaica. That's me up front. Uh, I think they used to call me rude boy back then. <laughs> so, so those are my older siblings, Hugh, Donovan, and Maxine. And that was the year that we came through the grace of God and through the hard work and vision of my parents to the United States of America. And I will say that this country is a wonderful, amazing country. It's been a blessing to me and my family. And I thank God that we have this country. As Logan mentioned, I work for a firm that had offices in both towers, actually. Uh, I worked in Tower 2, and we also had offices and employees in Tower 1. And in fact, we just had recently, um, on Friday, 
a memorial service down by Ground Zero. So I walked around that area again for um, probably not that many times as you would think, maybe for about the fifth time I was in that area and saw a lot of my friends and colleagues and former colleagues. And that did bring back a lot of tearful memories about the ones that have been lost, about the families that were impacted, uh, a lot of talk about the first responders who gave their lives, who were rushing up the stairs when we were going down the stairs. And I looked a number of them in the eyes as they were guiding us to exit the building and only to realize that uh, they did not survive that day. such a tragedy. Everyone remembers where they were and what they were doing on 9-11, but little did those 285 colleagues or the close to 3,000 people that died that day realize that that was their last day. So the days are evil and we should redeem the time. As I was putting my thoughts together of what to share, I was reminded by a community group that we had recently that was led by Travis Batty and Ricky Robinette. And this is a shout out to community groups. They're phenomenal and I encourage everyone to, to be, become a part of one. Uh, you can share all your joys and also be comforted in, in disappointments and pain. And that particular community group, we studied some of the great sermons that have been preached. And the ones that were chosen had five themes. Sermons of warning, sermons of biblical interpretation, of social change and resistance, sermons of personal change, and sermons of holy power. And I would say that um, I was reminded as I was asked to share that the things, the events that occurred on 9-11 and how they impacted me, my friends and family, uh, this message that I'm sharing today has a lot of the elements of those sermons. I would like to read a scripture verse from John 12:24. That verse says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. My message today has two main points. The first point is directly for those who share my faith. And also, my second point is for anyone seeking hope. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, ask that uh, you be with us, that your Holy Spirit be moving amongst your people here and online. And I ask, Lord, that uh, you guide my words, that they be your words, not mine, that your grace would abound, that you would use me for noble purposes as a vessel and create in me a pure heart so that I may not sin against you, Lord. And thank you for being with us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So everyone remembers September 11th because of the attack on, our, on the U.S. homeland. It was dramatic and terrifying and it had a profound course on history. Just as quick background, at that time in 2001, I was 41 years old. Uh, we had five children. The fifth one, Mahalia, was born January of that year. And a fun fact about our family is we were homeschooling back then. We homeschooled our children all the way through high school, which most people didn't know about at that time, but people know about homeschooling these days, I suppose, <laughs> in virtual educations. 
So I was uh, 16 years working for that company as a reinsurance broker. It was the largest firm in that industry. We occupied the 49th through 51st floor of building of Tower 2 and uh, the 96th floor of Building 1. And I must say that life was good. I was employed. It was a beautiful sunny day. And at that time, our family were, we were attending a church called Beth Israel. It's a Messianic congregation in New Jersey. And there was a, a lot of emphasis on the foreshadowings of Christ in the Old Testament. There was a lot of teaching about that. And there's also a lot of teaching about the New Testament and the signs of the end times, the biblical prophecies. There's a heavy focus on that. So we were always looking and seeking and interpreting what are the signs and the true signs of the end times. And in many ways, some people thought that the attacks in 9-11 were a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. There was some interpretation. And they refer to things like those in uh, apocalyptic terms, apocalyptic terms. The term apocalypse has two meanings. The first is that we typically refer to them as catastrophic events. And certainly 9-11 was one of those. But there's also a second meaning for the word apocalypse. And that is, it's a revealing, a great revealing. And 9-11 was certainly a revealing event for all of us. During that time, as you will recall, it really brought the country together. It, unfortunately, it was a tragedy, but it tended to unify us. People went back to church. They thought about their faith. And now we are at another revealing time. And that revealing time, millions have lost their lives across this world due to pandemic. And so are we seeking unity? Are we being brought together by this? In fact, no, we're not. We are being torn apart, certainly the country and then around the world. The impact of the pandemic is absolutely having a, an effect of dividing us. But the opportunity that these times present to us is an opportunity that's summarized in a great commission to go forth and spread the word of God so that none will be lost. The words that I just, uh, the scripture I just read were the words of Jesus as he was preparing his disciples for his imminent death. His death and resurrection was one of those revealing events. It was the revealing event of all time. It changed humankind and it changed infinity and eternity. So there is a hope, the hope of glory that we all share that sustains us even as we remember these tragic events of 9-11. So in these times of seemingly endless wars and rumors of wars, global conflict, natural disasters, it can tend to lead to a feeling of fear. But we should not allow that fear and that feeling of uncertainty to distract us. Actually, in my profession, the reinsurance business, uh, a lot of the CEOs talk about the business climate. And they refer to it as VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That's how they describe the business environment and even in societal terms, the environment companies operate in. 
But I'm here to say that uh, those times of uncertainty, those times of disaster and calamity, are times of a great revealing, and it's an opportunity for us to share our love in Jesus Christ and to share the Word of God. So the first part of my 9-11 story uh, actually began on September 7th, the Friday before. I was having lunch with a friend from college, Michael Brown. He was from Las Vegas and he's in town. And we had lunch together and during lunch he shared with me, I asked him how his parents were doing, and he shared with me the fact that his father had been murdered in one of those horrific postal uh, copycat incidents that happened many years ago. And he said he was mad at God for that. He'd also shared with me that his mother had passed away recently. So I thought during lunch, well, I will pray for Michael at the end of lunch. So lunch ended. We stood outside right across the street from the World Trade Center in the shadow of the Trade Centers. And I looked at Michael and I said, man, you look like you're two inches taller than I remember you. And he said, well, I'm sort of staying in shape. And I realized that I wasn't playing ball at the time, so I was always walking, <laughs> kind of slumped over. Um, and I guess I was around a lot of short people, so I tended to slump. But anyway, so, uh, so Michael said that he had a lung condition that was debilitating. He had lost about 75% of his lung capacity, wasn't sure what to do, and he might have to have surgery. And I thought, okay, well, that's another thing that I need to pray for, Michael. And I put my hand on his shoulder on that crowded sidewalk, and I said, Michael, it was great seeing you. I hope you make the right decision. Good luck. I took a deep breath, Michael walked away. I hung my head and walked up to my office on the 51st floor and sat at my desk and cried. And I felt that I had grieved the Holy Spirit, that I had a very strong prompting. I had somebody that I loved and cared for, that I wanted to pray for, and for some inexplicable reason, I denied the Holy Spirit, and that's certainly how I felt. And the verse came to my mind at the time that Jesus said that if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven, and I'll disown you before my Father who is in heaven. And that just had my heart sink even deeper. So I resolved at that point that I needed to contact Michael and I needed to share with him that I was a believer, that I was not quite the same guy he remembers from college, and that I wanted to pray for him. Little did I know that that Tuesday, after that lunch, the building would come under attack. I guess I felt it was a bit awkward praying for Michael at that point in time. There's something to say about the spoken word. Uh, we can talk about praying for people, we can pray for them in our minds, but there's a big difference, as we all know, that whether it's a word of encouragement, a word of praise, a word of worship, a word of the gospel, there's a big difference when you hear the spoken word rather than saying you're going to pray for someone. And I would encourage you did I hear an amen? <laughs> yes, I would encourage you, first of all, that if you hear the word, if I say something you agree with, please, no doubt, say amen. 
I always feel for Logan. He says these powerful things and we sit there and listen and I just, <laughs> and I think, amen. So, um, so please do. So uh, remembering Tuesday, it was a bright, warm, sunny day that day on uh, September 11th. And I was in my office. I had arrived about 8 o'clock that day. I was in number two World Trade Center. I was there with two business associates, uh, Fred Karlinski and Judy Durden. They were visiting from Florida. As we sat there preparing for our meeting that was going to be in New Jersey later that morning, we heard the sound of the jet engine. And with the impact of that first plane, just off to my left, around the 91st floor of number one World Trade Center, we knew that that was a pretty severe disaster, that it was something other than a small plane, and believe it or not, at the 51st floor, and certainly at Windows of the World at 108th floor, it was not uncommon to see planes fly by your window, or helicopters or planes, or sometimes if you're at the 108th floor, you look down and you see the planes and helicopters flying by, but those tended to be all small planes. We heard that jet engine, and we knew that there was something much more serious than a small plane. So we left my office, and it turns out that um, I was uh, actually in the building in 1993 when the building was bombed. So, um, so here again, there but for the grace of God go I. And it took about an hour to exit the building as we went down the stairs. They shut down the elevators. It took an hour to get out of the building because the stairwells were total darkness. The auxiliary lights did not come on. Um, we found out later that the Port Authority changed that and that actually contributed to us getting out of the building on 9-11 faster because they did have auxiliary lights on the, on the uh, stairwells. So as we were going down from the 51st floor, we had to stop. We, we got on an elevator, all the elevators on 51. As the door opened, everyone was coming down so they were all packed. So we decided, well, let's get on an elevator going up. It'll go up to 56 and then we'll come down to, we'll go down to 44. So to the surprise of everyone on the 56th floor, it opened up and we already were on the elevator. So uh, everyone piled in, we got to 44, and that's when we realized that there was a real panic because there were a number of people who were at the other side of the building where the buildings, the, the uh, windows were blown out. So they had a very different experience. Up to that point, we just thought, well, this is a tragic accident, a small plane, but now we got a sense much more of the panic that had taken place and everyone is rushing for the stairs. The elevators were shut down. So as we were going down the stairs, Fred, Judy, and I, and carrying their luggage, we saw a number of just strange sights, a lot of uh, high heel shoes cast off to the side where women had taken off their shoes and, and cast them to the side so they could go down the stairs a lot faster. And there were a number of people who were panicking on the stairs, trying to push people out of the way, but generally people were moving orderly, in an orderly fashion. As we got down to the ground level, we did see a lot of the first responders, and as I said, they guided us outside the building. And just to realize that so many of those first responders didn't make it is still such a, a horrible uh, memory. As we got outside, I looked up and I saw, well, we were at about the 18th floor, actually, before we got out of the building, when the second plane hit. And we did not know what that was. We, I thought in my head, possibly was it the top of Tower 1 toppling into our building? What else could have caused such a loud explosion? And we could hear a lot of the concrete falling in the elevator shafts, which were right next to the stairwell. 
So we still didn't know what was happening. When I got outside, we saw that the, both buildings were on fire. And I said, how, I don't understand. How could there be another fire? And somebody next to me said there was another plane. And there was one headed for the White House. As we know, that ended at the Pentagon, unfortunately. Um, and that's the point at which I felt we, the entire country is under attack. That was a very terrifying experience. Those arrows that travel by day that bring devastation. Those planes ended up being that. So we walked just a few blocks from the building and looking at seeing them on fire. Uh, Judy, who I was with, stopped at a shoe store to buy some shoes, some flat shoes, so we could walk uptown. And as I stood outside the building, I could look up and I saw debris, what appeared to be debris falling from the building. And that debris actually was not debris. It was actually people who were uh, jumping from the building at the time. Um, so as we were headed uptown, we um, turned and saw that the first building, number two World Trade, the building that we were in, that building collapsed. And the cloud of smoke was coming towards us. We um, were able to get a ride uptown from a good Samaritan who gave us um, a ride in his van. And it was a very strange situation because um, it was a panel van that was used to deliver chickens uh, to a supermarket or to a, to a restaurant. And it smelled horribly bad. <laughs> Judy and Fred are sitting in the back on their suitcases. I sat in the front seat. And I kept turning around saying, are you guys okay back there? And they said, yes, just get us away from here. Just get us away from here. So as we were driving away, I looked through the side mirror and saw the towers coming down. And at that point, realized that thousands of people, and certainly many that I knew, um, will not have made it out of the building. But praise God, thousands of people did make it out of the building. So as we got uptown around 72nd Street, um, Actually, at the, at the shoe store, uh, I recall, um, I was able to use their telephone and call home. And I was able to speak to my wife and children, told them that I had survived and that I would be on my way home. My wife told me that Michael Brown is the one who called and told her the news and that he was very comforting. Um, it, it was not until we were up at 72nd uh, Street when I um, actually, it was a very surreal scene. Um, as many people were going about their daily lives, there were people sitting on the sidewalk having lunch, people going back and forth to the dry cleaners, walking their dogs. It was a beautiful day, and you never would believe that the tragedy has occurred down, down uh, at Ground Zero. And I think that says something about things that happen in life. Um, where the tragedy may not be affecting you personally at that point in time, where it is easier, maybe for a coping me mechanism, not to react to danger. Um, but that was a very surreal experience, seeing how people were um, somewhat detached for those that uh, had been lost. And I would say that, in many ways, um, the hope of salvation is such that we can go about our lives like at the time of Noah, when people were partying and laughing and drinking and yet still did not uh, heed the warning. 
I did have the opportunity at that restaurant at 72nd Street to talk to my friend Michael. And I told him that I had survived, thanked him for comforting my family. And I said, Michael, by the way, I need to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And I said, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and I want to pray for you. And he said, well, I could tell, Paul. I could tell by the way you acted. And I then thought, you know, here I am, Michael. How ironic it is that I'm worried about your life. I'm worried about whether or not you would survive your medical condition, when in fact, it was my life that was in jeopardy four days later. It was me who would be called to account for how I'd spent my life. So I would say to you all here, believers, and those who may not share my faith, to redeem the time because the days are evil. And there is a hope in Christ Jesus. And you should share that faith. Amen? Amen. Thank you. So as I um, would want to share the second part of my 9-11 experience. Um, and the tragic part of um, my relationship with Michael is we stayed uh, in touch over the last 19 years. And because of that lung condition, he was actually susceptible to the coronavirus. And he actually passed away this past December from the coronavirus, leaving behind his wife, Jackie, and their two sons, Jordan and Will. So I do, do ask you to pray for Michael's family as they are dealing with the passing of uh, their loved one. And the second part of my 9-11 experience has to do with the fact that there was a memorial service that was organized by Marsh McLennan just a couple of weeks later on September 27th. They uh, had organized this service to be held at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan, here in Manhattan. And I was asked to speak at that service, and I couldn't understand why. The other speakers were the mayor and the senior leadership of the company. And there were, other, there were two other individuals who had lost. There was a young lady who had lost her father who was asked to speak. And then I was asked to speak also. And I got a call from the general counsel of Mars saying, a committee has been formed, and there are two poems that we'd like you to read. And those two poems were um, Dirge Without Music by Edna St. James Miller, Millay, and Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas. I read both poems and I did not want to read them. They were not very uplifting, especially the one by Dylan Thomas, because it had a constant refrain, rage, rage against the dying of the light. And I thought the message that families needed to hear at that time was a message of hope and encouragement. So I said, well, please find somebody else to read these poems. I would prefer not to read them. And strangely, he said, no, we want you to read these poems. And I said, well, I'm not going to read them. Just get somebody else to read them. And we went back and forth. <laughs> and, and he said, well, OK, well, you know what? Why don't you find a poem and submit it to the committee, and we'll approve it, and see if you can find something. But you have 24 hours to do that. So I. Uh, Search the Bible, search the internet, but then the, he also said to me, oh, by the way, there was one stipulation. 
do not mention the name Jesus Christ in your poem, in your remarks. What a beautiful name it is, <laughs> the name of Jesus Christ. And as Alf was saying how the name of Christ is so beautiful, he just thought about how fitting that is that we would sing that song with a beautiful name, the name that proclaims salvation to the lost. So I did, by God's grace, find a poem. And that poem is a poem I'd like to read today. That poem was uh, written uh, by John Lucky McCreary. And before I read that poem, I would like to share the fact that as I sat in the third pew of St. Peter's, and they had Cardinal Egan, they had a priest, a rabbi, and an imam to represent the three major faiths, there, a young man came and sat next to me in that third pew. And I introduced myself, I said, I'm Paul Little. And he said, you're the guy who refused to read the two poems. <laughs> I'm reading those poems. And I said, oh, okay, yes, that's me. And uh, he introduced himself and he said, hey, you know what? I gotta tell you something. Um, my fiance died on 9-11. She was in the tower number one. We were gonna be married in January. And I cannot tell you how devastating it is and really how heartbreaking it is that we do not have a body to bury. I did not have a chance to say goodbye to her. And by virtue of you choosing not to read those two poems, I've been asked to read these poems, and I read them gladly because this is the long, long, the, the memory, the cherished memory that I'll have of my fiance being able to participate in this service. Otherwise, I would have been just another face in the crowd. This has so much meaning. Thank you so much. And I just thought, praise God. God, give God the glory that there was a reason that the God works things for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes, and even things that are meant for evil can be turned by the Lord to good. So we sat there together, amen. We sat there together and we cried. Um, the service went on and as we were leaving the service, I happened to walk out in the aisle right next to a man with his young son. And they were holding hands and the father looked at me and said, thank you so much for that poem. I've been telling my son who lost his mom that mom is still alive and she's still with us and we'll see her again. So yet another affirmation and confirmation that I made the right decision. I remember the general counsel actually telling me that his name was Bill Rossoff and that the Mr. Greenberg and Ms. Perlmutter, who were all senior officers within the firm, were, um, were all Jewish and they were going into St. Patrick's and there's gonna be Christ on the cross so everyone's making a compromise to be there and to be in that environment because of the circumstances. So why don't I compromise and read those poems? And I was so blessed that the Lord, through prayer, gave me the strength to not give in to the idea of compromising, especially at a time when people wanted to hear a message of hope. So I'd like to read that poem. The poem is called, There Is No Death. 
there is no death. The stars go down to rise upon some other shore, and bright in heaven's jewel crown, they shine forevermore. There is no death. The forest leaves convert to life the viewless air, the rocks disorganize to feed the hungry moss they bear. There is no death. The dust we tread shall change beneath the summer showers to golden grain or mellowed fruit or rainbow-tinted flowers. There is no death. The leaves may fall and flowers may fade and pass away. They only wait through wintry hours the warm, sweet breath of May. There is no death. Although we grieve when beautiful, familiar forms that we have learned to love are torn from our embracing arms, Although with bowed and breaking heart, with sable garb and silent tread, we bear their senseless dust to rest and say that they are dead? They are not dead. They have but passed beyond the mist that bind us here, that blind us here, into the new and larger life of that serener sphere. They have but dropped their robe of clay to put their shining raiment on. They have not wandered far away. They are not lost or gone. Though unseen to the mortal eye, they, see, they, they still are here and love us yet. The dear ones they have left behind, they do not forget. Sometimes upon our fevered brow, we feel their touch, their breath of balm, their spirit sees them, our spirit sees them, and our hearts grow comforted and calm. Yes. Even near us, though unseen, our dear immortal spirits thread. For all God's boundless universe is life. There is no dead. What John McCreary was speaking about was beyond physical death. It was the death of the spirit. And that spirit does not die because we have everlasting hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is the greatest hope that we have. So my second message and last point today is for anyone who is looking for hope today during a time amidst calamity. And I'd like to read uh, from 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Stand firm in these days of calamity. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is in the Lord and it is not in vain. So in closing, I would um, share with you that um, I've been on a spiritual journey the last 18 to 24 months brought on by a sermon that Kara gave one day. Um, and that journey has led me to ask many questions about God's purposes, about God's purposes for my life. Why was I saved? Why am I here? 
And I would just say that um, during the last, that same period, I've had a lot of medical problems as well, and with back surgery. And then again, I questioned the Lord. Why me, Lord? Why is it so? People said, oh, you're having a Job experience. And I said, are you kidding me? Job was a righteous man. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would love to be considered in the same vein as Job. Or as Paul, the apostle, who, who boasts about the pain in his side and said that in his weakness, the Lord shows his strength. So, Logan, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share this message today, a message of hope, a message that actually is cathartic for me in what I went through 20 years ago, what so many people went through, and my experience, as horrible as it was, bears no comparison to those who had much worse experiences and those, obviously, who lost their lives and their families that uh, still grieve them. So I'd like all of you to please heed this message of hope, this message of warning, this message of being prepared in season and out of season to share the hope of the gospel and have the knowledge of knowing that our Lord Jesus Christ has passed before us, he's conquered death, and he stands at the right hand of God waiting for us for all eternity. Amen. Can you stay up there? Okay. Um, yeah, thank you, Paul. Um, I'm really glad that it was a cathartic experience because it's a very painful one to remember. Uh, but you blessed all of us today as we've been consumed these last two days of figuring out what to do with this. So thank you so much. Um, as I was sitting there, I was thinking about how God meets us when we have to relive these things. Um, from the very beginning of the garden, when tragedy happens to Adam and Eve, God goes to them and he reclothes them with righteousness. And what you did is you became very vulnerable before us, reliving your trauma. And I want to take a moment to pray that God would just cover you that he'd reclothe you, that he'd bless you for everything that you just gave away to us. And so if you'll join me in praying for Paul, that he would have that experience with God. We call you Father and that you are to this your son, Paul. And so as his father, speak your words of delight over him, that he would know that you are well pleased with him that you see him as you see your son, Jesus. And King Jesus, we ask that you would fight for Paul. And Spirit, we ask that you would cover him. God, that you would comfort him as he continues his own journey of grief. That you would be with him in all of his questions. And God, all that he gave away today, would you give back to him? Would you restore and strengthen him? And would you bless him by the power of your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Can you thank Paul one more time?
Um, I want to give you all a chance to respond today. Um, we're going to respond collectively in a way, and then I'm going to encourage you to respond individually. Collectively, we're going to respond through communion. And so people are walking in, in the aisles next to you to hand you a um, communion cup that you can join with us. Reading 1 Corinthians, we're reminded of the actions of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. That though his body was broken, it would be made whole. And though your body and we've experienced brokenness, the promise in God is that we can be made whole. And so we partake of this by faith, knowing that that's what God wants for us, wholeness. And so let's eat of it together. Jesus told his disciples that this cup was the cup of a new covenant, a relationship that he wanted to have with each of us. And so he wanted to deal with the thing that separated us from him, our sin. And so he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin. Drink it in remembrance of me.